Well, we are to John chapter 4 this morning. Last week you learned about Jesus' reception with the Samaritans and the, these outside marginalized people just joyfully receiving him. Today uh, Jesus is going to come back home to his home territory in Galilee and we're going to look at the story of the healing of the nobleman's son. One of my former pastors made this statement once in a sermon, and it absolutely took my breath away when he said, according to our expectations, God is behaving badly most of the time. And at first I thought, TJ, I think you just blasphemed the Lord like in public in a sermon, really not a good thing. But you see, the the important phrase in this quote is the first four words, according to our expectations, God is behaving badly most of the time. So what I mean is, uh, you know, you get yourself in a situation that often comes along in each of our life experience where, um, as Elizabeth Elliot once defined it, suffering, it's having something you don't want or wanting something you don't have. Right? And, and very often in our lives, we find ourselves in that uncomfortable situation, having something we don't want, rather not have, or wanting something that God is not apparently pleased to give us. And so we, uh, we move into action by, you know, we know what we want and what we need and when we need it in our ultimate human wisdom. And so we, in faith, pray to the Lord and inform him of what he should be doing to help us in this circumstance. And often my prayer sounds like this, Lord, just get me out of this, all right? This is enough. My character is developed. I'm ready to move on to the next thing, okay? Well, according to those expectations, have you found this to be true? God is behaving badly most of the time. He doesn't live up to my expectations, or he leads things in a different direction than the way I'd like to see them go. So often, the way I think, God is behaving badly. Now, in the story in our text this morning, we're going to see a man who probably was tempted to accuse Jesus of behaving badly until he realized that Jesus was up to something much more significant and wonderful than this guy could imagine. And as we listen in on the story, I want you to join me in watching Jesus take an individual whose faith was at the very best shallow and surface, and the way Jesus works with him, he's going to fan that faith into a bright flame. And as we listen in on the story, as John tells it, it's an opportunity for all of us to reflect on the depth of our own faith, especially in those times when it seems to us that God is behaving badly. So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us as we listen to his word this morning. Heavenly Father, our opinions, our perspectives, our thoughts, our words are only chaff and cannot be compared to the wheat, the rich, nourishing wheat, which is your word. And so we pray in these moments that... uh, Human thoughts and perspectives might fade away in the bright light, the glowing truth of your word, that we truly would hear your word and respond 
to what you are saying to us in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the story begins here in verse 43, as good stories do, with a setting. I'm going to read these three verses, and I want you to think what doesn't seem to flow or doesn't seem to fit here in these verses. It says, at the end of the two days, that is the two days that Jesus continued spending with the Samaritans, the outsiders, the marginalized folks, the, the you know, racially mixed people that the Jews were looking down on in a very intensive way, yet people who were responding in faith to Jesus and understanding who he was. After spending these days, it says Jesus went on to Galilee. In other words, home court. This is his area, you know, that where the Jewish people are. And he himself had said that a prophet is not honored in his hometown. And the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. And as he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. Now, you read the verses, and here's what doesn't seem to fit. He's coming back to his hometown, his home court, at least the home area where he lived. And then it says, Jesus himself said, you don't have any honor in your own country if you're a prophet. And then John goes on to say, and the Galileans welcomed him. They welcomed him because they, so, so which is it? Do they welcome him or does a prophet not have any honor in his own country? Well, it harkens us back to John 2 where it says, Jesus knew what was in the hearts of all humans And so Jesus understood that when you come back home, that applause doesn't necessarily mean acceptance and handshakes and slaps on the back doesn't necessarily mean safety for you. Remember the theme song to Cheers? You know, we all want to be in that place where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. Jesus was not whistling the theme song to Cheers when he came back into the region of Galilee because... He knew their welcome, their welcome. Actually, it's a word that's not as strong as receiving. It's it's kind of a tentative. Their welcome, we could put it in scare quotes, it was tied, John tells us, to the things they saw him do at the Passover. Apparently, there were a number of miracles and signs that he performed. The the writers don't tell us exactly what those were of, of our Gospels, but very active doing these, and and yet... Their their faith, their acceptance is tied to these miracles or signs that he's done. John Morris says that their very acceptance of him was in its own way a rejection. (laughs) You see, folks, it's possible for our faith to be selfishly motivated. In other words, we're into God, we're trusting God, Interested in what God can do for us, not interested in relationship with the God who is. We, we want what God gives, but we're not satisfied with just who God is. And so Jesus looks at the Galileans and he's saying, yeah, you're welcoming me, but it's a shallow faith. It's a faith that doesn't get beneath the surface. Jesus comes to the town of Galilee. 
You'll notice on the map here there are two towns, Google GPS pin dropped there, Capernaum, which is right on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's interesting, the Sea of Galilee, actually the Lake of Galilee, it's a very big lake, but it's 700 feet below sea level. And so Capernaum, where the individual in the story we're going we're gonna to continue through here is from, it's about a 15-mile journey over to Cana, and it's straight uphill pretty much all the way, about a 1,500-foot rise in elevation. Jesus comes to Cana where John reminds us he had, he had turned the water into wine there. In other words, by this sign, he indicated to everybody present The God who created all things is here. I am the Messiah. And those water jars that people use for their purification rites under the law of Moses that doesn't really cleanse anything, it's symbolic of the cleansing that I have come to bring, I turn that into new wine. (laughs) I am the one who brings life, right? So um, how is Jesus going to respond to this somewhat cool homecoming Reception. Well, we don't have to wait long to find out. The conflict in the story begins as a desperate government official comes to Jesus with a specific request. Let's pick it up here in verse 46b. There was a government official, literally a royal official, official, official in the service of a king uh, in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. So we find out this guy is not only a, a royal administrator, he's attached to the service probably of Herod Antipas. He's also a dad. And a dad whose son, we're told, is very sick. Now, when he had heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, and he probably had heard about these miracles Christ had done there, he, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. So not only is the boy sick, the boy is near death. Now, apparently the royal official, he's heard about Jesus' miracles and he's he's got a somewhat limited perspective of who Jesus is. Here's what he's thinking, apparently. Jesus is the kind of miracle worker that has to come to the room where the sick person is and touch them or be present with them, maybe lay a hanky on them or something, He's got to be there in the room with them. No, no, wait, wait, wait. This is Jesus, the God, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity who created all things, John tells us in chapter 1. He created time and space. 15 miles is no, no obstacle to him. Yet this man is, he has a faith, but he's like, yeah, you're a miracle worker. I'm a servant of a king. I have power. I have position. He's probably a wealthy individual. But this man in his life experience has come up against something in life for which his money and power provided no advantage. This son, the word means an infant, a little boy, he's at the point of death. So he locates Jesus, and it's very interesting that the NLT here says he begged Jesus, literally, it's this idea of he kept on asking, kept on asking, kept on asking, bothering Jesus. It's not just a simple ask. I mean, this, is, this guy is desperate. Presumably, he's 
exhausted all the resources he has. The doctors have done everything they can do. And the little boy is just about to die. And in this man's limited perspective, he's thinking Jesus has to come and be present. And maybe he can work a miracle. Something about a parent when your child is hurting, right? There's nothing worse than that. You you would want rather take their place, right, than see them so helpless and going through a time of struggle. In my years as a pastor, I've had more than one occasion, unfortunately, to stand by the bedside of a dying child with the parents who are just deep in their grief. We can only imagine this man willing to do anything, to pay any price, and yet nothing he's done works, and yet maybe with Jesus there is an opportunity. So he makes this arduous journey 15 miles uphill, finds Jesus, and is begging him. How do you think Jesus might respond now? Wow, I came, you know, to help people, and here's a man who needs help, and, well, look what Jesus says. It's actually quite shocking. (laughs) He says, um, the, the NLT makes this a question. In verse 48, in the original text, it's actually not a question at all. It's a very strong statement. But let's read it. Jesus says, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? A couple things going on here. For one, there's the word you. Will you never believe in me? In English, we're kind of limited because our word you, it can mean like you, like Steve, one person, or it can mean you, like Bethany Grace Fellowship, second service in the morning, y'all, okay, instead of y'all, right? In Greek, there's two different words, and Jesus used the plural. So when he says, and it wasn't a question, here's actually what he said, unless you see miraculous signs and wonders, you will, y'all will not ever believe who I am. That's what he said. To this hurting dad, This dad who is now identified not as the royal official, but as the father who's hurting. Y'all will not believe, not ever, unless you see some trick from me. Jesus is talking about all the Galileans. Unlike the Samaritans, he is saying, you all have shallow faith. And he's including this royal official. Isn't it ironic, the royal official comes to speak to the king of the universe. Talk about a royal official. It's Jesus, right? And here Jesus, the true king, is responding in a way that seems heartless. Now, it's interesting how the man responds, verse 49. He apparently is going to be bold enough to assume, I'm not included in the y'all you just talked about. So look what he says. The The official pleaded, Lord, It's a term of respect. Lord, please come down now. Please come now before, and here's this affectionate term, before my little boy dies. It's a plaintive request. Certainly this will move Jesus' heart, right? Certainly he'll say, all right, let's go. You're not one of the y'all. You have, but Jesus is still challenging this man's what began as a shallow faith 
he says something that seems to be a bit off-putting. Look what he says. After the man says, you come down to my house, Jesus says, "Uh, no, how about this? You go back to your house. (laughs) You go back home. Your son will live. And literally, it's present tense. Your son is living and implied he's going to continue living. Jesus is saying to him, So many words, no, 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 I will not come down and fit into your preconceived notion of how miracle workers do their work. I'm not going to come down and perform a trick. Instead, I want you to go down, and all I'm giving you is my word. That's it. Here it is. Your son is living. Now... By anyone's definition, even as you read this now, it's like, wow, you know, wow, Jesus is behaving badly. I mean, it seems to me, he's behaving badly. And you know what, folks, it is at this point that people with shallow faith turn and exit, stage left. They're going to walk out the door. I know what I need. I know when I need it. Jesus needs to show up and do this for me. You're a miracle worker. Don't you love people? You need to come and do this. And he says, you just trust my word. It's going to be okay. And refuses to come. It's in these moments often that we are tempted to turn away from God, right? You're not meeting my expectations. And so... I'm not talking to you. (laughs) I don't want to read your word. I don't want to pray. I've just prayed and I get this kind of an answer, right? No, so often when it seems to us that God is not behaving well, we feel feel somehow cut off from him. We might get angry, might get bitter. But you see what Jesus is up to here is something much more wonderful than just, sure, I can heal my... I can heal your son with my eyes closed. No problem. He is trying to call forth a deeper faith in this guy's life. He's trying to fan his shallow faith into a bright flame. He's asking him, I want you to trust my word with no accompanying sign or miracle. I want you to rest in my promise and leave the results up to me. I want you to enter into a deeper relationship. I want you to trust my word even though you can't see anything with your eyes as proof. So just for a minute, it's fun when we're reading these stories. Imagine if you were in this guy's sandals this day, you know? Your own child is near death. This is not the way God's world is supposed to be. Death is the intruder, the invader. And yet there's someone here who can turn it around. And you come and ask him, please, will you? And you get this kind of a response. Back in 2002, there was a film called John Q that Denzel was in. You might remember it. It's kind of an apologetic for a single-payer healthcare system. But uh, John Q was a father of a nine-year-old boy who needed a heart transplant desperately. And there were all these salary and insurance obstacles and The boy wasn't going to be given a heart, and so John Q moves into action, grabs a gun, takes people hostage, and demands that his child be given this this transplant. Well, any parent who watches that movie says, I get it. (laughs) 
I get that. Of course you would want to take things into your own hands like this. As I imagine myself in this guy's sandals, I feel like I might have gone John Q, you know, when Jesus responds as he does. He knows what he wants. He knows what he needs. And Jesus says no because he wants to do something much deeper and richer for him. So let's pause just for a moment and let's just think about this ourselves. How is it that I respond when it seems to me that God is behaving badly? You know, when his answer to me is, my prayer is, Lord, just please take this away. And his answer to me is, how about you trust me to give you grace and strength through this season? I'm up to something deeper than just helping you be happy. I'm trying to help you be holy, to help you be more like Christ. And so you walk with me through this time, trust my word, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet your needs in a way that I know is best. Oh, it's so hard in these moments. So how does this man respond after this uh, sort of frontal confrontation from Jesus? No, your faith is shallow. And how about this? You just go home and trust me. I'm not going with you. Look at how the man responds, and this is where the reversal comes in the story. We see in verse 50, the second part, the man believed what Jesus said, and he started home. That's faith, folks. That's, that's the difference between shallow faith and true faith. True faith just says, okay, you got it, I'm with you, and he, and he starts walking. I can only imagine what was going through his mind as he starts down the hill back toward Capernaum probably, you know, out out about a mile down the hill, he starts thinking, what is my wife going to (laughs) say when I come home? I'm the powerful, most powerful guy in this region, and I I couldn't get this healer to come back with me. What is she going to say when I come home empty-handed? Wait, wait, wait. Jesus said, he's living. Yeah, but, you know, that back-and-forth conversation, no doubt he's having, wavering, wanting to believe, trying to believe, and yet falling back into unbelief. And then he meets his servants, apparently a whole entourage of servants coming to meet him. And look at what they say, verse 51. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better. And they replied, yesterday afternoon... At one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. And the father realized that this was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. You see, he's not asking for more information about what exactly happened and how's how's my boy feeling. He's not inquiring about his son. He's inquiring about the son, the unique son, Jesus. And he asks this question, Really? He's alive and well. When, when did he start to get better? What time of the day? And the servants say, we know exactly what time. It was so sudden, the fever left him at 1 p.m., literally the seventh hour of the day. By Jewish reckoning, day starts at 6 a.m., seventh hour of the day, 1 p.m. That's when he started to get better. And the man knew at that point, Jesus is someone much more than just a run-of-the-mill, run-of-the-mill, you know, magician. This guy 
has power over time and space. This guy has power over life and death. He was beginning to believe when he left and started walking home, and now it says, the text says, and he and his entire household believed in Jesus. Now, a deep confidence in who Jesus is. So beautiful. He came asking life for a sick boy near death, and he leaves with not just physical life for his son, but eternal life for himself and all those in his house who along with him believe in who Jesus is. Now the resolution in the story comes here in uh, the last verse, verse 54. When John adds this statement, this was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. So, First four chapters of the Gospel of John, so we're about, you know, getting partway through the story here now. The miracle at Cana, and now a second sign at Cana, and everything in between pointing us, John is trying to point his readers, his Jewish readers, to this fact, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one who provides cleansing. He is the author of life. He has power over death and time and space. You must believe in him. And he tells the story about the Samaritans, the outsiders, to try and make the Jewish people jealous, like they're receiving the blessing that God wants you to be included in as well, right? So John is making the story very, very clear for us. He's tying up the argument that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything the law of Moses predicted, but the law of Moses could not in itself accomplish in people's lives. Now, we're thinking about our faith when it seems that God is behaving badly. This is the lesson I want you to take with you today and be thinking about. Along with that question, how do I respond when it seems that God is behaving badly? And this is the lesson. it's, It's helping us think about not just shallow faith, but true faith. True faith confidently clings to the promise of God even in those times when it seems God is behaving badly. It's a beautiful lesson from this man's life. We can't help but think about the parallel here, a story of a father and a son and the encroachment of death and the return to life. John wants us to think about another father and a son who not only was near death but died, actually was crushed by his father for our sins and yet came back to life, right? So... Friends, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've never come to see that Jesus' perfect life and his death on the cross of Calvary, that was all done not to pay for his sins. That was done to pay for ours. And and you've never come to that point where you trusted, you rested, you believed that word. This story is calling you to cling with confidence to God's promise to forgive you and give you eternal life as you think about the father who crushed his only son and raised him up again that we might be given forgiveness. This story is calling us, brothers and sisters, who know and believe in Christ. You can point back to that time in your life when you came to know him. 
But it's calling us to cling to his promise and trust his word in those times when he seems to be behaving badly and we need grace and strength. And as Paul was told by the Lord, 2 Corinthians 12, those three, what I think were three seasons of his life where the trial just was grinding on and on and on and brought, brought Paul to the end of his self and his strength. And he says, Lord, what are you doing? Like my, my life is, I can't, I'm trying to serve you down here. And you're just putting obstacles in my way. Please take away whatever the thorn in the flesh was. We don't know. Please take it away. And God's, what does God say to Paul? Nope, I got a better plan. How about you trust me and I'll give you strength. And here's what you're going to find out. In human weakness, when you're at the end of your rope, that's when God's strength is most powerful. And God's promise to sustain us in long seasons of suffering This story is calling us to cling with confidence to that promise and start down the first step toward home, right? Just act on that. Keep moving. The story calls us to cling to his promise to work all things together for good and his ultimate glory and to cling to his promise that one day he's going to make all things new. I was talking with a brother after the first service this morning and uh, he, he raised something that I, I want to talk about now that's really important. He said, you know, uh, this brother lost his wife a year ago. And he said, as I read this story, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful story of faith in Christ and how it leads to a happy ending. But he said, you know what would also be true? If the boy had died, it would still be a happy ending, right? Because God is still... I said, that is so good what you just said, right? We look at a story like this and like, okay, if I have faith, then I'm going to have a happy ending. Well, well, yes, ultimately, we're all going to have the happy ending, right? But the truth is, the thing that I want most, God may deny it in his perfect plans for me. And yet, he's going to give me grace and strength to move through that time. I mean, the truth is, this little boy, let's say he's three years old, Right? He doesn't understand everything that's happened, but he was really sick and now he's really fine. And as he grows, his parents are probably saying, you gotta come, you gotta know Jesus too. Let us tell you about what he did for you. The the boy grew up hearing this story. I'm assuming this boy came to trust Jesus as his savior as well. Maybe he was old enough at this point that he's included in this household thing, but, but guess what? That boy lived until he was, you know, we don't know, 50, 60 years old. And then guess what? He died, (laughs) right? And that's not inconsistent with the happy ending of this story because this Savior is making all things new and he is actually crushing death so that there's a day coming, brothers and sisters, in the new heavens and new earth, the God we've put our trust and faith in through all these years, we're gonna see it with our eyes. It's gonna be revealed You know, the story was good in creation, bad in the fall, new in what he's doing in redemption. Someday, it's going to be perfect. David Jeremiah said it this way, God doesn't promise a smooth sailing, but he promises us a safe landing on heaven's shore, right? Let's close with this. Hebrews 11.1 summarizes faith in this way. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for 
will actually happen. So maybe not my healing physically in this life, but ultimately I'm going to be completely healed as we stand before Christ in our new glorified bodies. Faith gives us assurance about things we cannot see. So by God's grace, let's trust him together even when it seems he's behaving badly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love and thank you for the simple stories in your word. We see ourselves there. We, we see ourselves doubting just like this dad. We see ourselves struggling to believe your promise and act upon it. And we see clearly that you are a God worthy of our trust. You have power over life and death. You can give us the strength and grace we need for anything we might face in this life. And your promises to us are yes and amen about all that is to come in the new heavens and new earth. I pray for my friends here today, someone who may not yet have trusted Christ for that initial step of faith to trust him for the forgiveness of sins. I pray, Lord, that you and your... Your spirit through this word, this story would be working in their heart to bring faith about. And for all of us who know you, who may at times wrestle and struggle and feel disappointed with what you are ordaining in our lives, grant us the courage and the grace to embrace what you're permitting and to own it as your best plans for us and just to keep moving forward, trusting you, putting our faith in you and your finished work for us. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.